Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Ali Dianati. He's the Vice President of Product Innovation uh, at Medtronic. Uh, part of the diabetes business uh, portion of their business. So we're going to talk about his work. Uh, Ali, thank you for coming. My pleasure, Richard. Thanks. Yeah, I know Medtronic has uh, you know many decades history of uh, working in medical products, but um, if you would just tell me about uh, your position and Medtronic itself and, and then um, you know the specific work that you're involved in. Sure. So um, you know, as part of uh, what I do for my Medtronic and the title is, of course, product innovation, but uh, really what that means is all things related to the development of products. So that's inclusive of research and development, clinical, regulatory, and then as it relates to program management as well as part of that. So it's really intended to be set up so that the end-to-end pieces needed uh, to get a product out the door are located in one shop. And, and that's essentially what I do. Okay. So in the diabetes unit of Medtronic, what kind of projects are you involved in? What, what are they working on? That's a great question. So we work on treating for essentially anybody that is taking insulin um, at this time. So so we make insulin pumps, smart pens as well, the CGMs that are used uh, or the continuous glucose monitors that are used to measure how much the sugar levels within uh, people with diabetes. And then ultimately the algorithms and the insights uh, that are used to also automatically dose and to provide help uh, to those that, that need it in terms of trying to calculate how much insulin that they need. And then and last but not least, uh, we have a caroling system, as we call it, which is uh, for healthcare practitioners and patients as well to see how they are doing on the device and also to give them a snapshot into you know, their diabetes management as well. Yeah, myself and uh, my wife have worn, uh, you know, like the Dexcom and she's doing the Libre Lifestyle uh, CGMs. So we tried them and it was a huge help. Um, she would stick her finger a lot and I'm afraid of sticking my finger because it hurts. 
But with the CGM, it, you know, it's painless and it's really cool. You could see the blood sugar levels all day and night. And, you know, we go to different restaurants and see what the results were. And, you know, sometimes if our sugar was high, we'd go for a walk and that would bring it down. And, you know, we, we could tell if we slept well or not, depending on the sugar levels. So they're like super helpful devices. That's exactly right. And, and ironically, you know, we're using a lot of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to take what you just described and make that more automated for people so that, you know, they can understand how meals affect them or, or how exercise helps them or how a good, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep can make a difference. So that's actually, you know, one of the advances that we're working through right now. You mentioned a smart pen. What is that? That's a great question. So, you know, insulin in, in terms of dosing it uh, typically is done with an injection and those injections are manually done, meaning that uh, a person cranks up how much insulin they need, you know, through, through the pen itself. And then as a result of that, then injects it. So let's say they take a meal with a cer certain amount of carbohydrates um, they match that uh, to their needs and then crank up the, the amount of insulin that they need and then inject themselves. And what a smart pen does, that, of course, is all manual. And that, of course, is not something that is database. So think of it as, and you, and you kind of mentioned when you eat, you see the variation that that comes with the, the CGM. Quite frankly, the smart pen does the other side of that is that for those meals. And if you need insulin and you inject yourself, you kind of want to see if you did a good job with that injection, meaning that did you give yourself enough um, or too much? Um, and by tracking that over time, you get the power of the data, just like you did with CGM, but more importantly, with insulin so that you can do a better job of keeping yourself in range. And so think of it as a connected version of a a uh, very mechanical and uh, memory-based system. And as a result of that, conveying the information back to the user or the clinician to be able to make future references and inferences off of it. And then import more importantly, to optimize and you know titrate their diabetes better um, so that they get better outcomes. And um, when people inject insulin, I've heard there's fast acting, there's more longer term acting. Do people tend to inject just one type or do they do a cocktail that's tailored to the type of foods they're eating and how much they ate and how much carbs they had? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, you know, just taking a step back for a second, you know, what your body needs is um, enough insulin, you know, to basically keep the lights on, so to speak. So, you know, just to take care of uh, your, your normal everyday activity, that's called basal insulin or background insulin sometimes. And so that is one type, uh, at least in the injection space of insulin um, that people use. And then, you know, for meals where you need, you get a sudden rush of sugar into your bloodstream, that requires bolus insulin. And so that's a different type of, of insulin for that. Now, that's, of course, if you're taking injections, when you are on a insulin pump, you actually just take the bolus insulin, but it monitors or, or meters how much insulin you get for that background insulin. Uh, so that basal insulin is still using the same type. Um, but it, it, sh it slows the flow down to, to keep the lights on, so to speak. And then when you eat, you tell the, the, the system that you're eating and how much you ate. And then as a result of that, it provides a bolus as well. So it depends on if you're on uh, multiple daily injections, there's two types typically. And if you're on a pump, it's usually just one. And it has, has uh, I don't know if this device exists, but has an insulin pump been um, partnered with a CGM? So the CGM is giving feedback to the pump. Okay, we're overshooting, we're undershooting. 
give more, absolutely. hold off, slow it down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So believe it or not, Medtronic came up with that uh, technological advancement some, you know, many years ago so that at least uh, people could see. And, and the trajectory of this was first and foremost, giving people those insights of the CGM, just like you had uh, mentioned earlier in our, in our conversation. From there, we used uh, the CGM to decide uh, how, when to stop the flow of insulin. And the reason for that is often uh, what could happen is that maybe you overestimated how much you ate or uh, what happens quite a bit is that, you know, typically people provide themselves a bolus ahead of eating and then decide that they don't want to finish the, the full meal or they get distracted uh, and, you know, stop eating for some reason. And, but that insulin is still in your body. And so what the first advent of the co connection between continuous glucose monitoring and the pump was um, to essentially shut off that insulin for safety reasons uh, so that people did not go to a very low sugar level uh, or hypoglycemia, as it's uh, technically called. And the reason for that is that, you know, that there are some adverse events as a result of having uh, or getting into that range of hypoglycemia. And, you know, we want to avoid that at all costs. So that was that was the first advent. And then about five years ago, we came up with, again, a first um, in the industry, the notion of what we call hybrid closed loop. And what that does is, if you remember, I mentioned you know, this basal insulin or this background insulin and the need for that to keep to keep the lights on, you know, on a day for day basis. And, and I think you, you, you also mentioned this, so I'll use it as an analogy. You know, when you're walking relative to laying down or watching TV, the background insulin you need is, is very different. It changes with your activity. And of course, with severe activity, even like exercise, it changes even more. In any event, you know, as you go through your day, it meters up and it meters down depending upon your demand, right? And so what a hybrid closed loop system does is takes the CGM data, does a prediction of where and how things are going in terms of, are you going higher in terms of your glucose levels or lower? and then meters how much insulin um, is going into your body. And then from there, it actively is trying to keep you in, in, in range. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. And maybe just to give you another sense of uh, an easy way to describe this and, and to take a little bit of a step back here to, to help, you know, frame it a little better. You know, it's like your body is, is like a, like a tank. Let's just say it's like a gas tank and um, that gas tank, you're always trying to keep at a certain level. And as you use energy, um, that gas tank, and if you, if you will, is going to drop. So think of that as, as you exercise, your glucose levels are going to start to drop. And, and similarly, if you eat, you're adding to that tank. And so as a result of adding to that, that level is going up. And so our job is to make sure that we keep that line leveled at a, at a healthy rate. Typically, that is 
considered something between in healthy people 90 and 100 mgdl which is uh, the, the the technical way of measuring that and that's what your cgm provides you um, in terms of a number and so what this hybrid closed loop system is trying to do is get you leveled um, in a safe zone you know irrespective of you know, what's going on in your day-to-day life and make sure also, yeah. you know, to protect you from going low. How come, you know, these these pumps don't include also a little reservoir of like super concentrated glucose so that, you know, if they overshoot, they can do more than just stop inputting and also give a little bit of glucose to bring someone back from a hypoglycemic event if something happens? Yeah, that's that's another great question. So Think of it as there's a major number of reasons. So there are academic studies that are happening based on that front and trying to do that. The interesting thing is that when you have, let's say, two reservoirs uh, like that, one for what's called glucagon, which is the essential opposite of what insulin is, what that does is first and foremost creates a lot of complexity, you know, for the person with diabetes, because you now have to fill you know, not only your insulin and make sure that that's okay, but you got to fill the glucagon and make sure that that's okay. Then as it relates to, you know, attachment to your body, you know, you have to have two methods of getting that into your body and that's, you know, stuff um, that's associated with it. And, you know, quite frankly, the way that these newer algorithms are working, the, the demand or need to do something like that is actually quite limited. What we're seeing uh, in clinical studies and the like is the likelihood of going low is a pretty infrequent event these days because of these things that I had mentioned before, stopping insulin flow and, um, and actually doing a better job of making sure that people are getting the right titration of insulin in their body. And so it turns out to be more burden and more work to have something like that included than it does if you can just do a good job with the insulin itself. Now, the other thing to note based off of that, though, is that, you know, if you have the glucagon there, you tend to use more insulin because you're, you're essentially not forcing yourself to be efficient with the insulin. And it turns out both glucagon and insulin are rather expensive. And so to some degree, it would not to say that it would make our algorithm designers lazy, but it, it's a good thing to stay efficient as possible so that you know we're not costing the healthcare system a ton of money and, and what I would call wasted insulin because we're using the, that glucagon to overcome it. Well, I mean, certain people, I guess, type ones could be in emergency situations, you know, if they're sure. sleeping throughout the night. And what if they just go very low for some reason because of what they had during the day? You know, what if they're in an emergency situation? They just don't wake up. You know, they may not want to set alarm. Absolutely. Like that, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, a type one again is, you know, maybe you have a system that's maybe higher priced for people that really are in danger of, of super low events. And it only activates in emergency situations like it. Maybe you can tell if the person's passed out or I don't. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. It's a great comment. And, and, you know, we've surveyed a lot of folks on this. And, you know, though that seems attractive, you know, on, on paper, when we have offered that up to them as something, you know, for their day-to-day life, you know, they, they've, they've avoided it. And the truth is that most people uh, with diabetes want to forget that they have it. And as a result of, what the complexities are with a system like that, you know, it adds more, I would say, burden in that regard than it does relief in terms of worrying about an event like that occurring. And most of that has to do with the fact that our latest algorithms and the advent of CGM have gotten good enough where that that concern overnight has been pretty limited. Though I'm not discrediting the notion of having glucagon available um, in case of an emergency, 
but having it 100% available, you know, uh, you know, to, to use whenever you're on a pump is is where, you know, that, that trade-off occurs. Yeah, it makes sense. So when's Medtronic going to make a continuous insulin monitor? Is that <laughs> a, a very difficult task or what? Yeah, it's it's something that we have uh, kicked around quite a bit. We we have ideas on how to go about doing that, but the you know the, it turns out that the the value of something like that relative to having, let's just say, you know, more accurate CGM, you know, diminishes rather quickly. And the other thing that would help and is and and maybe again to take a little bit of a step back, you know, the thing that we're fighting more often than not in this disease management is a, a series of what I would call time constants. And what I mean by that is, you know, for the insulin, in order to be absorbed into the body, it takes time, right? It's not like it's an immediate relief of, of, uh, of that into the body. Uh, and so, you know, there's pharmacokinetic that, that drive that. And of course, all the insulin companies are working towards making faster and faster and faster acting insulins. So that's one thing that we're fighting. The other is the there's a time constant also for the CGM reading relative to, you know, like a finger stick. There's a time delay between as you had a chance to experience that that continuous glucose monitors goes into the subcutaneous uh, tissue. It's not directly in your bloodstream. And your bloodstream, of course, is what we care about most um, in order to see what your glucose levels are. And that's why finger sticks are still noted as being the most accurate uh, way for anybody around to, to be able to get that kind of information. The difference is, of course, the trending with CGM. But nonetheless, let's just say it takes 10 to 15 minutes at sometimes, maybe even up to an hour for the insulin to act. And then the CGM in relation to your bloodstream is off by something, you know, in the order of five to 10 minutes, those time constants add up. And so that's what we're constantly fighting. And we're using, you know, predictive algorithms and the means of watching how, you know, an individual metabolizes food and then accommodating that by preempting some of these things um, in our newer algorithms. That's, that's how, that's the direction that's all going. So what are the bottlenecks you see in, in terms of diabetes care for patients? Like where do they, you know, where is it not smooth for them? And I'm sure you guys are looking at that to make it a, a seamless experience. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one is probably access, honestly. You know, it's not, you know, I, if you have insurance and, you know, are able to, you know, afford, afford it, it's available to you. And the, the capabilities of that are, are definitely available to you. But there's plenty of people, you know, that have that and, and are not able to do that. And, you know, on our side of the house, working hard towards making sure that, you know, we bridge those gaps of those inequities. So that's one big one. I think the other thing that we're seeing, and more so than not, especially in this time frame, is, you know, the toughest thing to do, and I don't know if you have any experience with this, but, you know, we ask uh, people with diabetes to essentially count how many carbs they have in every meal. Remember, you know, to give themselves an injection every time they eat. And, you know, that that's not straightforward. I mean, it's it's really not easy. I, I don't know what you had maybe for lunch or for dinner recently, but do you know how many carbs uh, were that accurately? Probably not. And, yeah, and you just got to eyeball it. I mean, over time, you may get to know, but certainly not in the first few weeks of paying attention to it. Sure. And, and when you're eyeballing it to your point, you know, what, what do you think the accuracy of that is relative to the insulin that you're dosing yourself with, right? And so- Yeah, it could be easily like 30% different, easily. That's ex that's exactly right. And so, 
our data suggests actually you're, that was a pretty good guess. It's actually 30 to 40 percent error on average uh, for, for people, aside from, you know, again, going back to the timing that matters and the like, because those things matter, too. And so what we've been doing is working on you know two things, I would say, that are super important in order to accommodate that. One is to know when people are eating, because if we know when we can get more aggressive with with the insulin dosing and then keep up, uh, so to speak. Um, so again, so that using that tank analogy, we can keep the tank level. The other is, uh, you know, something that you brought up also, which is how much, like, or what, what is the value of that meal that you had in terms of carb load and, and how do you, you know, quantify that? And so we have two specific technologies that we think are, are going to make a big difference as a result of that. One of them we call a clue, which is essentially taking, you know, a smartwatch, if you would, a, a wearable. And um, using you know, gesture recognition to know when people are essentially putting food in their mouth. And, you know, that will help us, of course, identify when um, people are eating. And to some degree, depending upon how many times they do that gesture, uh, you can get a sense for how much. Of course, that's not perfectly accurate because it depends on the food content and what you're eating. So, you know, if you're having a candy bar uh, relative to some salad, you know, the carb loads are completely different for those two things. And so... The other thing that we're looking at is uh, and have a lot of uh, data on is is something that we uh, also acquired, which is a is essentially a, a food database through a, a company we call Neutrino. They have the largest food database um, in the world, and part of the reason why we want that is because the actual nutrition information of that food, you know, helps us decide how much insulin to dose and when to dose it. Also, so you know, if you have a really high fat meal, you're going to want to spread out that insulin dose a lot longer. If you have a high, very, very high sugar meal, of course, you would want to get it into the body sooner. And Neutrino helps us uh, decide on those kinds of things. Aside from the other thing, and I don't, I don't know, just trying to make it practical for you to think about is, you know, the, the last time you went to your favorite restaurant, did you happen to order uh, the same thing? Uh, I don't remember. I just, what I do remember though is, um, if I ordered the same meal, at least on paper from different restaurants, we got radically different blood sugar responses. So you can't see the difference, but you know, if you get, I don't know, chicken with, uh, like chicken parmesan with spaghetti, let's say it can be radically different depending on how the restaurant prepares it. That's what I know. Very good. That's exactly right. And so that is definitely absolutely true. It's, and this goes back to the notion of the, the nutrients that are in it, right? So all, not all chicken farms, to your point, are, are, are the same. And so what the other thing that Neutrino has is essentially it's taking the phone um, and using it as a bed of sensors. And so as a result of, let's say, being at a different location, but you still ordering chicken farm, it can look into its database and see how others um, metabolize that chicken farm relative to a typical chicken farm, and then dose accordingly because it knows that there's are, are statistical differences between that meal and from other places. And then similarly for yourself, if you did happen to order that same meal twice, it would go back and reference the last time you ate it. And then based on that, give you insights into how it should be dosed for the second time here and actually take control of that if you allow it to. So think of it as if you came back and had that chicken parm again, it would know how to optimize um, the insulin dosing based off of that meal. So that's, yeah, that's you know, part of what it is. Yeah, I can see if you had a database of, I don't know, a couple million different foods. I mean, there's no way that anyone can get any, anywhere close to, uh, to the power of a database like that. And it could also say to you, you know, remember the number 255? Well, that was your blood sugar last time you ate this. So don't do it. 
Well, we don't like saying no, but we, we do instead say things like, hey, you know, this time around, this would be a better way to handle it. And so we try to try to not not to do things because, you know, they need to live their life. But understand. Yeah, no, I, maybe the New York version would be mean to you and then you could have a nicer <laughs> version, you know, your personalities. Yeah, we, 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 that's that's definitely an option. Very cool. Um, so just a question or two more. What, so what's the future? What do the next five years look like for Medtronic for Diabetes Care? What's coming? Yeah, so so we actually just recently got an approval on our advanced hybrid closed loop um, algorithm. And, you know, I, I, I did mention clo- hybrid closed loop, but the advanced version also does something else that I think is very important. And, you know, we just finished talking about meals here and carb counting. But really what happens a lot of the time is people under club you know, how many carbs um, they're eating, for example, or even forget for that matter, and need to correct or add insulin later to make up for that. And this new algorithm actually automatically does that for people. And in other words, if we see that someone, you know, underdosed, um, so to speak, we will add insulin and make up for that, relieving them of a lot of, of the headache of coming back to thinking about their, their diabetes again. And so we automatically take care of that. And so we uh, got the approval for that in Europe uh, some time ago, and uh, I'll tell you, people really, really, really love it. Uh, it's really helping them not only stay in range, as I mentioned, or maintaining their glucose levels, but it's taken away a lot of the effort in carb counting for them as well, mainly because you know they don't have to be perfect um, at it anymore. And so as long as they're in the ballpark, the, the system will make up for it. Oh, I was just going to interject. I, I remember I tried keeping a food diary for a few weeks and some days, you know, I didn't eat a lot of things. It was easy. And some days I seemed to have like 10 different snacks. And on those days, it, it, it's just such a pain to put all that into the food diary and to count the carbs and everything. It's just like, forget it. So I understand why making it easier for people is, is the key factor. Yeah. And ironically, you're, you're no different than many of the people that we have uh, surveyed on this. You know, two weeks is kind of the limit of people's tolerance for being able to do something like that in terms of a diary. And, you know, to your point, also, people like to snack and for all the right reasons they deserve to. And so this system is very forgiving in that way uh, because it allows for it you know, to, to manage that part. Um, very readily, and it does it in a five-minute to five-minute interval. So it's not waiting to help make those decisions and keep people in range. It just takes care of it for you. So, so that's the newest one. Aside from that, I kind of mentioned where we're going with this neutrino database and integrating that into the system alongside a clue, uh, which was the gesture tracking. But all of that is built around many, many insights um, that we have because, you know, quite frankly, we have millions and millions and millions of a patient day's worth of data from our Caroling system. And we've been able to glean a lot of interesting uh, notions from that, that we now are able in a way that's not intrusive to people, but in, in an effort to help them, uh, give them back information that would make them more successful with their disease management. So, so that's another thing that will be coming very shortly. And then I think the other advent that's also new for us is, you know, this smart pen, as I mentioned, but integrating that with CGM is now available. And then ultimately uh, getting after more titration or the ability to, to not only handle, you know, what they have for meals in a simple way, but also to balance out what their basal loads need to be on that other injection. So, you know, folks, you know, because they take two different prescriptions, as, a, as I mentioned earlier, optimizing those. So it takes the burden not only off of them, but off of their clinician as well. Um, and so those are all very near term. 
And of course, wearing the pump itself has plenty of improvements we can make. Um, and one of those is, you know, the, the way that the insulin gets into the body is through what we call an infusion set. So similar to CGM, where it goes into the subcutaneous um, area of the, of, the, of the body, this infusion set does the same. And a, and a short little cannula goes inside of the body to um, diffuse the insulin into, into the body that way. And we have now come up with, uh, and it's available also in Europe, the means of, of doubling the, the lifespan of those cannulas, because quite frankly, it's very difficult to keep them on the body beyond three days, mainly because the insulin crystallizes and gums it up, but our new design takes care of that and extends it to seven days. So again, it takes more of the burden out of, of managing um, this disease. So that's just a snapshot. We got plenty more. In no, that's great. Well, Ali, thank you very much. You know, it sounds like, you know, obviously Medtronic understands the market really deeply and they're coming out with all kinds of great products and uh, protocols to make people, I guess, live seamlessly. So someone with diabetes like you said, the, the less they have to think about it and worry about it and they can live a normal life, that's what they really want. And it sounds like you guys are delivering it. So that's, that's excellent. That's exactly right. I mean, our goal every day is to make sure that we can help people forget about the fact that they have diabetes and do that in a very non-intrusive way, because quite frankly, that's what they deserve. Okay, well, very good. So how can um, listeners find out more about uh, Medtronic and what they're doing? Yeah, so uh, obviously we have a website and uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram presence. Uh, so those are all good places. Our, our website's MedtronicDiabetes.com. We also have quite a bit of online resources as well. So if you just search for Medtronic Diabetes, that would that would come on up. But there's plenty of information there for, for folks to, uh, to check out. Very good, Ali. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.